Good morning. Hey, open your Bibles to Romans chapter 3. We're going to get right in it today. No, uh, no catchy opening illustration. We've got an annual meeting to catch here in a few minutes. So uh, we're going to get straight into the Word. Open up to Romans chapter 3, beginning in verse 21. The title of my message today, and I'm, I, you know, of, of, all the, uh, of all the passages I've ever preached on, this one really gets me almost excited more than anything. Uh, this is a glorious passage. The title of my message today is Propitiation and Mercy Seat. Propitiation and Mercy Seat. You might be wondering, what Mercy Seat? What, what is that? What's propitiation for that matter? Well, hang tight. Today we are going to focus in on what these glorious words mean. In case you haven't been with us though in Romans, uh, last week... We finished up a number of, of, of weeks of study in Paul's doctrine of sin. Paul's doctrine of sin and of condemnation. And we looked at a whole slew from two chapters worth and then focused primarily at the start of Romans 3 of the dire consequences of sin and condemnation. Take a look at all of these negative absolute statements that we see from Paul in, uh, from our last study. Take a look. No one has an advantage with God. Everyone is under the power of sin. No one is righteous. No, not one. Every mouth is stopped in light of God's law. No one can be justified by the works of the law. And all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. This was Paul's summary, as we learned last week, of two chapters worth on his doctrine of sin and wrath and judgment and condemnation. This is indicative of every man, woman, and child that has ever lived, these statements are. But despite this awful indictment of humanity, Paul followed it up with another universal statement that contains the power to eclipse all of these negative truths. And that statement is this. Everyone, everyone is freely offered the righteousness of God by faith in Jesus Christ. And that's a glorious truth. Everyone is offered God's righteousness by faith in Jesus Christ. And that eliminates, it casts aside all the negativity of sin and death. Paul says this statement from Romans chapter 3, verses 21 to 24, which we looked at last week, and I wanted to just briefly review it again. He says this, but now, something's changed, but now the righteousness of God, apart from the law, is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe. For there is no difference, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified freely by His grace through the, through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Paul says the righteousness of God, that is to say the saving, justifying activity of God, has come to us in the person of Jesus Christ. And we have an opportunity... To become righteous 
in God's sight because of Jesus. When we believe in Christ, God justifies us. He declares us righteous on the basis of His Son's perfect righteousness. In and through Christ, we are able to receive what the Mosaic Law could never give us. In and through Christ, we, we are able to receive what the law could never, ever offer to us. For we could never live up to the law of God. The old law, the old way, it was unattainable. It was not doable. All that the old law could do was remind us of how far we had fallen short. We needed something. We needed someone to set us free from the old way of doing things. You know, there's been much debate on the television recently. If you've been following the news in Haiti, there's been much debate over whether it is better or worse for Haitian orphans to remain in country, in the orphanages, and ultimately return to their communities, or whether it's better for them to get out of Haiti and to go to the United States and to other uh, reputable families around the world to, to be sent out for adoption. There's been a lot of debate over this matter. And I've put up uh, on the screen behind, you'll see two individuals that were in one report about this. Uh, we have uh, Guido from UNICEF on the left-hand side who argued that uh, all Haitians should stay pretty much in country for fear of... Uh, of human trafficking by the American parents who adopt them. And then there was Rebecca. Yeah, I, I said that clearly. He was afraid that the American parents would send them off into human trafficking. And then there was Rebecca on the right, who was also arguing that the kids should stay in country because that is ultimately what is best for them. And then they brought in an expert. And uh, the expert here, I got his picture up there. There he is. There he is. Good looking guy there. Mike Gibson said this, I do agree that if children could stay in their home country and get the basic provisions of life, food, water, and a place to sleep, then they probably should remain in their home country. But in Haiti, that's not the case. In effect, what Mike was saying is, look, the old way it's not working. The kids don't have what they need. They're not free. They're still in bondage to things like hunger and thirst. And released to the streets, they can easily end up in gangs or in prostitution. The old way isn't working. If it could have worked, that would be great. But here in Haiti... It's just not the case. And Mike has countless stories to back that up. The old way isn't working. Paul says in verse 21, the old way isn't working. And so God needed to bring in a new way, a new kind of righteousness, apart from the law, apart from the old way of doing it, 
Zero in again on the text there. Freedom from sin and condemnation was not possible by means of the old law. The old way was not sufficient to free us from sin and death. And that is why God sent Christ to provide a new way of hope. A way that was apart from the law. Distinct from the old way. In Christ we've been justified freely. In Christ we have redemption. While previously in bondage to the old way of life, we've now been released from, from death by our faith in Jesus Christ. Uh, Mike was the, the voice of reason in that report. And uh, there were many who, who just assumed that the old way of doing it is better. Let the kids remain in their hunger and their thirst and in fear of gang and prostitution in a country that is wrecked. I say let's work to rebuild Haiti with Christian principles that those kids can stay and not walk out in the streets and immediately get swiped up by the old way. What Mike and Corey and others are doing in adopting these kids is absolutely the right thing to do right now. And may God in, in just these next years, may God restructure that nation that we don't have to adopt those kids. That their nation is secure for those children. Amen? The old way isn't working, Paul says. A new way needs to be forged. That new way is in Jesus Christ. In Christ we have redemption. We have been set free. We've been delivered. We've been released from slavery. And how do you set someone free? Sacrifice always precedes. Sacrifice always comes before, I should say, redemption. Sacrifice always comes before redemption. Take a look at verses 25 and 26. This is our main text today. Jesus, whom God set forth as a propitiation by His blood through faith to demonstrate His righteousness because in His forbearance... God had passed over the sins that were previously committed to demonstrate at the present time His righteousness that He might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Again, that first part. Whom God, speaking of Jesus, whom God set forth as a propitiation, or I've also titled it as a mercy seat by His blood. What is this word propitiation and why have I... Uh, taking the liberty to add a explanatory comment, the words mercy seat in it. Well, this word propitiation and mercy seat, it comes from the Greek uh, noun, hilasterion. And this Greek noun is used over 20 times in the Old Testament Septuagint. Now, the Old Testament uh, was written in Hebrew. But it was also translated into Greek, and that was called the Septuagint. And in the Greek translation of the Old Testament, this word, hilasterion, translates mercy seat. You say, what is, what is the mercy seat? Take a look at Hebrews chapter 9. Let's bring it up. In Hebrews 9, the author of Hebrews is speaking of the tabernacle, and of the articles within the tabernacle. And he says this, For a tabernacle was prepared, the first part in which the lampstand, the table, and the showbread, which is called the, the, the sanctuary, 
And behind the second veil, the part of the tabernacle, part of the tabernacle which is called the holiest of all, which had the golden censer and the ark of the covenant overlaid on all sides with gold, in which were the golden pot that had the manna, Aaron's rod that budded, and the tablets of the covenant, and above it, the ark, were the cherubim of glory, overshadowing the hilasterion, the mercy seat. This New Testament use of Hilasterion is the only other use besides Romans 3.25, where we find it. And in Hebrews 9, it is clearly translated, mercy seat. What is the mercy seat then? It, it is this. Let's bring up a picture of the Ark of the Covenant. We see the Ark of the Covenant here. It is the top portion of the Ark of the Covenant, the, the, the cover, really, between the cherubim was between the the, 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 the the figures that you see on the top of the Ark of the Covenant, that section, that that area was was entitled the mercy seat. And you wonder, well, why was it called the mercy seat? Well, Exodus 25 gives us a reason why it was called that. Moses, uh, the Lord says to Moses and there at the mercy seat, I will meet with you. And I will speak with you from above the mercy seat, from between the two cherubim which are on the ark of the testimony, about everything which I will give in commandment to the children of Israel. Read Leviticus 16, and you will find that the mercy seat in the Old Testament was the place where the priest, on the Day of Atonement, would sprinkle the blood of a bull and of a goat upon the mercy seat itself to make atonement for the sins of the people. What is the Old Testament mercy seat? It is the place where man met God. It is the place where man met God. He met God by means of the sprinkling of blood upon the mercy seat. How striking is it then that Paul in Romans 3.25 is referring to Jesus as the mercy seat by His blood. The title slide that I showed earlier, take a look at it again now. If you notice carefully, that's Christ. And He is seated upon the Ark of the Covenant. This is a beautiful, beautiful artistic rendition of Jesus Christ as the mercy seat, the Hilasterion. He is where we meet God. Jesus is the mercy seat. The Old Testament mercy seat was a place where God's uh, where his anger against sin was temporarily appeased. The Old Testament mercy seat was a place where God's anger over the sin of the people was propitiated, appeased, in a provisional sense. It was a place, as Paul says in verse 25, where God in His forbearance, notice what he says, had passed over the sins that were previously committed. 
That was the Old Testament mercy seat. In His forbearance, He was passing over. He was being temporarily appeased. He was being provisionally satisfied, propitiated, awaiting something. But Jesus, as God's ultimate mercy seat, was the one in whom God's anger against sin was eternally appeased. In Christ, the Father was propitiated, not in a provisional sense, but in a perpetual sense. If you're having trouble following, uh, Tom Constable has a nice, he breaks it down nicely here. This is great. I like this. It is as though the Old Testament believers who offered the sacrifices paid for those sins with a credit card. God accepted those sacrifices as a temporary payment. However, the bill came due later and Jesus Christ paid that off entirely. That that illustration actually really does capture the essence of the situation. They were paying for it temporarily, but when the bill really came due, Jesus Christ, the mercy seat of God, perpetually propitiated the wrath of the Father. Notice again in verse 25. When Jesus paid this debt, Paul says it demonstrated God's righteousness. It proved that God could not simply avoid dealing with sin. In view of sin, a holy God must act. And God has acted. He has acted in and through Christ to put an end to sin. What Jesus did demonstrated the righteousness of God. And Paul also says what God did through Christ was not done in secret. He did this out in the open. Notice he says in verse 25, He put Jesus, He set Him forth. Jesus, whom God set forth. In the Old Testament, the mercy seat, the place of meeting between God and man, it was hidden. The meeting place was hidden. It was behind the veil. It was in the Holy of Holies. It was only accessible one time per year by one man, the high priest. But God has set forth Christ publicly. He has set Him forth for all to see. And Jesus is the ultimate mercy seat. Jesus had been set forth for all people as the one in whom God and man can finally meet. And how does this meeting take place? How does this meeting ultimately take place between God and man? Paul puts it simply in verse 25. He says this meeting takes place through faith. Through faith. Jesus said, no one comes to the Father but through Me. Faith in Jesus is what is necessary for you to meet with God. Have you believed in Christ? Have you met with Him in faith? I've given you, I've given uh, plenty, I would hope, plenty of evidence here as to why we should really translate Romans 3.25, whom God has set forth as a hilasterion. We should really translate that mercy seat. 
Um, the evidence to me is clear. The evidence from Hebrews 9, where it's translated like that in the only other place in the New Testament. The evidence from over 20 places in the Greek Septuagint. There is ample evidence for us to actually render that mercy seat, which is a bit distinct from propitiation itself. But I want to give you one more reason why this translation is critical. I want to give you one more reason in this. For some of you, you'll go, I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't totally follow. But hang in there, because this is an, a, a critical component of theology. This, the way you land on this aspect of theology really does change the way you view the cross of Christ. Let's read again verse 25 in the New King James. It says, Paul says that God set forth Jesus as a propitiation. Let's assume it's propitiation for a moment. By His blood through faith. I contend... I contend that the Greek noun, hilasterion, should not be translated as propitiation because propitiation, get this, is not contingent upon faith. Meeting with God is, but propitiation is not contingent upon faith. You say, well, what does that mean? What we're saying is this, God's propitiation is completed in Christ. God's appeasement is completed in Christ. God being satisfied for sins of all time is totally and utterly completed at the cross of Jesus Christ. It does not need our faith for God to be satisfied for the sins of the world by the cross of Christ. And there are a number of scriptures that bear witness of this. 2 Corinthians 5.19 says, God was in Christ reconciling, bringing the world to Himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the, the word of reconciliation. In 1 John 2.2, 2, you know all too well. And He Himself, speaking of Christ, is the propitiation. Now, that's an accurate translation there. That's a different Greek noun, by the way. It's halosmos, not hilasterion. Similar, but distinct, I would argue. He Himself is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the whole world. If God, mark this well, if God needed our faith, to appease His anger towards sin, then that would mean the cross of Christ was not good enough to do so. I'll say that again. If God needed our faith to appease His anger towards sin, then that would mean the cross of Christ was not sufficient, was not good enough to do so. But of course, the cross of Christ needs no supplement. Jesus, by means of His shed blood on the cross, totally satisfied, totally propitiated God's righteous demands for sin, He is totally appeased by the cross. St. Hodges puts it beautifully. He says, very simply put, the propitiatory work of our Lord Jesus Christ is universally effective. 
This is true whether anyone believes it or not, regardless of whether they have faith or not. God is propitiated. On the cross, Jesus paid for every single sin that has ever been committed by any person who has ever lived on the face of the earth. That is magnificent and that is overwhelming. Now some ask, well wait, but if, 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 if God is totally propitiated, then why do people, why does He still send people to hell? The answer to that is simple. They have not believed. They have not expressed faith. It is a misconception that sin is what is separating us from God. That is a misconception among all sorts of Christians. I declare, based on the Scriptures, based on Romans 3.25, based on 1 Corinthians 5.19, Based on 1 John 2, 2, excuse me, 2 Corinthians 5, 19, based on 1 John 2, 2, I declare that all sin of all time has totally been dealt with at the cross. All that's left is for you to believe. Sin's been dealt with. And if, quite frankly, if it hadn't been dealt with at the cross, then believing in Christ, it wouldn't get you anywhere because you'd still have a sin problem. But God in Christ has taken away sin. He's removed it from the road. He's taken it away from the path. He said, at the cross, your sin has been propitiated. You are no longer, no longer given the judicial condemnation of God because of your sin. The gates have been opened. And now all you must do is look upon the Lord Jesus Christ and ask Him, for your salvation. Believe in Him and you will be saved. God is fully propitiated. Make no mistake about it. That does not mean that everyone is saved. But it does mean that God is satisfied for sins. Having been completely satisfied, Jesus has now become the perfect mercy seat. The perfect mercy seat. Hilasterion. By His blood, Through faith is how we meet Him. Jesus has brought us near to God by His death, and we finally achieve that meeting with God through faith in Christ. And in all of this, Paul says, God is shown to be righteous. Look at verse 26. It says, This has been done to demonstrate at the present time His righteousness, that He might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus because God, because God has been fully appeased in Christ, He can now justly offer, freely offer, righteousness to all by faith in Christ. The sin had to be dealt with first, and it was completely at the cross. And now that sin has been taken away as a barrier, all that's left is for us to believe. Here's a, a final statement to walk away with and, and fill in the blanks here. This is a, maybe a final summary for us today. Understanding propitiation and mercy. See, God the Father this to reconcile the world, the world to Himself. And He did that. And Jesus, by His death on the cross, completely atoned for the sins 
of the whole world. 1 John 2.2 In doing this, Jesus became the propitiation, the appeasement, the satisfaction for the Father's righteous anger towards sin. Having fully taken God's wrath upon Himself at the cross, Jesus has now become the hilasterion, the mercy seat, the meeting place between man and God. With sin no longer a barrier between Him and God, man is now able, through faith in Christ, to receive redemption, eternal salvation. That is the, both the similarity but yet the distinction between the words propitiation and mercy seat. Folks, let us never suppose that the cross of Christ is only sufficient if people have faith. The cross of Christ was totally sufficient. And that is why God can offer to you and to me the free gift of everlasting life simply by believing in Christ for it. Amen? Let's close in prayer, shall we? Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank You for uh, times in which we just delve into the depths of Your truth. A, A difficult study, Lord, no doubt. One that over the centuries has been hotly debated whether the cross is sufficient for the sins of the world or whether the cross is sufficient only for the sins of the elect. Lord, we pray that Your Spirit would have guided this time. We believe, Lord, in accordance with Your Word, that the cross of Christ was magnificent. That it completely and finally appeased You. Propitiated You. And we believe, Lord, that that has enabled You now to freely give us eternal life by faith in Christ. What a gift. Indeed, it is magnificent and it is overwhelming. Thank You, Lord, for the blood of Christ that frees us from sin and death. In Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen. You're going to close with a medley of white as snow and nothing but the blood of Jesus. And the words are going to be up on the screen. So if you'll just stand and close with us, we feel that it's appropriate in response to Jesus being the perpetuator of our sins to close with these songs. White as snow, white as snow, though my sins were as scarlet, Lord, I know, Lord, I know that I'm clean and forgiven through the power of your blood, through the wonder of your love. Through the faith in you, I know that I can be white as snow, white as snow. Though my sins were as scarlet, Lord, I know, Lord, I know 
that I'm clean and forgiven through the power of your blood, through the wonder of your love, through the faith in you I know that I can be white as snow. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me White as snow, no other fount I know, nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow, no other fount I know. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Folks, thank you so much for being here today. Man, great worship today, folks. Thank you so much. Uh, I want to remind you, too, that uh, if you are in construction or medical or security fields, uh, I've got ten applications for a limited number of people uh, to consider that trip to Haiti, February 15 to 22. Uh, we can help you raise some support, so don't be shy. If you feel the Lord's laying that on your heart, please talk to me. And those that want to go in the future, I know the floodgates are going to be open soon. So do not hesitate to get involved because I know that there will be multiple relief trips down there. Be sure to greet Corey and Mike. Uh, but again, give them time to process here a little bit. Uh, don't ask them too much. <laughs> and uh, we're just glad you guys are back. And folks, at the end of today, we're just going to meet in the courtyard for some refreshments. And I really encourage you to stick around because we have an annual meeting and we encourage all the members and all those who attend to come and to participate in our annual meeting. I promise you it will be, uh, it will be timely. We will not go long. We will have you out for, uh, for a good lunch. Uh, but please enjoy refreshments for about 10 minutes and come on back in when you hear a little bit of music playing in the background. Yes, Monica. Pick up your kids, give them a snack, and kindergarten to sixth grade, then go to the preschool room, fireside room, kindergarten through sixth grade into the fireside room, and preschoolers go to the toddler room. Let's close in prayer, shall we? Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for the blood of Christ. Thank you, Lord, for giving us an opportunity to meet with you through faith in Him. Lord, we ask that you would meet with us on a continual basis Remind us of your heart. Remind us of your love. Lead us, Lord, as we meet together shortly to consider the future of this church. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.